Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Okay, so we are in the book of Revelation, and uh, I've done a couple of talks, and now moving into our third talk this week. And thinking about that alongside the um, Ukrainian news, you might have seen a bit of stuff happening uh, on the MH370 Malaysian Airlines flight that disappeared eight years ago. There's sort of been new speculation over the last, I think there was a large documentary last week on TV, uh, where they're talking this about the greatest aviation mystery of all time is now actually approaching its eighth year of being unsolved. New experts have emerged with new theories of the whereabouts of this plane lost at sea with everybody on board. More than 240-odd people gone. Uh, Back in 2014, we had people all over the world on their computers, glued to their computers, scanning satellite images of the ocean, people looking for debris that might be floating around here to try and track down that plane. Boats and planes spent millions and millions and millions of dollars looking, 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 but nothing was found. Two, two pieces of wreckage sort of surfaced on some islands and that's all they found of this wreckage of this uh, plane, a mystery. One person knows exactly where that plane is. One person knows perfectly the last moments precisely where that plane plummeted into the ocean and found its way to the seabed floor. That person is our sovereign Lord. He knows everything. He rules everything, including Malaysian's flight MH370. I'm going to look at that today as we think about this next chapter as we come into Revelations, the sovereignty of God. Please read with me now. We're going to go to uh, chapter 4 and read all of chapter 4. Revelations chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne was 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, a, there was as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, 
the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. God, we thank you that we can come and we can get a vision of your throne room. Father, we ask and pray now that your spirit would come and bring this word alive. Bring the truth of what John, under the inspiration of your inspiration, Holy Spirit, wants to communicate to us today, that we would see God on his throne. We would see the sovereign Lord who rules and reigns, that nothing happens without his ordaining it to take place. Open our hearts up to see that now we pray. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, yep, continuing this journey into Revelation, uh, week one, we introduced the book with John's sort of terrifying vision there of Jesus, uh, the awe-struck person of Christ. Uh, But Jesus comes and comforts John and tells him to fear not in that situation. Uh, Week two, last week, uh, we saw Jesus speak a direct word to the seven churches of Asia Minor. These churches were at varying levels of persecution and also passion in their following of Jesus as well. Uh, They're suffering under a Roman government at this time. It's now demanding absolute worship of the emperor. Uh, The local community is also putting pressure on the local church as well to fall in line with the rest of them and also to practice uh, this emperor worship too. They have this earthly sovereignty over them, that is the seven churches, that is oppressive and demanding, uh, giving them all sorts of grief and trauma. Jesus, in loving grace, brings a word to these seven churches, a word of comfort, a word of confidence, and also a word of confrontation to them as well. He confronts the sins that are amongst those churches. Some of these churches are compromising Jesus, buckling under this pressure from the world, and they're actually falling into sin. John is now writing to these churches to encourage them, to stir them up, to persevere and conquer this world and not give in to the pressure that the world is actually posing upon these believers at this particular time. Now, for some of us, when we get to Revelation chapter 4, we feel like, well, this is where Revelation really starts sometimes. For it's here that we begin to see some of this apocalyptic language emerge for the very first time in this chapter. And for some, not all people, for some, apocalyptic language is the really interesting stuff, well, that's the weird stuff of the book of Revelation. If we think about it, uh, think about some of the stuff we said back at the start that really help us to guide us through this book. And we've got a handout down the back there if you want to grab that as well with some of the things we spoke about a few weeks ago. One of them one was this. Whatever John, the, uh, John who wrote this, whatever John meant for the seven churches to understand back then, nearly 2,000 years ago when he wrote this letter, whatever he, uh, whatever he meant for them to understand back then is exactly what the Holy Spirit wants us to understand today. John's not giving them a different message back then and we get a different message today. It's not like somehow 2,000 years later we've gained some sort of new insight or understanding here in this. Whatever John wrote back then is exactly what John wants us to understand today. It's the same message back then in AD 95-96 thereabouts as what it is in 2022. Same message. Here's our big idea then as we think about where we're going to go today. It's this. God's sovereign holiness results in glad celebration and worship. This in turn uh, gives us a new vision of joyful strength and hope to live 
for his glory. God's sovereign holiness results in glad celebration and worship. This in turn gives us a new vision of joyful strength and hope. Okay, really strategic here in the way the Holy Spirit inspires John in the writing of this book, in the writing of this letter to the seven churches. It's really strategic here. Look at me in verse 2 and let's ask here, what is this saying to us and what is John wanting to communicate here in verse 2? Have a look at this one, it's here. It says this in verse 2, At once I was in the Spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Let me ask you, what do you think John is communicating just in that verse? When you see the word throne there, what words, what thoughts, what images come to mind do you think John is trying to communicate to us just as he's trying to communicate to the seven churches back then? And then John adds, with one seated on the throne. What thoughts and images come to mind when you read that? in what John is trying to tell us. Well, you think of a king, don't you, when you think of a throne and someone seated on a throne. You think of a monarch or someone, something like that. A throne represents the seat of power. It's like it's the boss man's chair. That's where the boss sits, the one who holds all power and all authority. That's his chair. Well, this is the vision that John is giving these persecuted and pressurised followers of Jesus in Asia Minor. It's the vision of a glorious sovereign God who reigns with unrivaled power and in glorious splendour. He's starting off like that. Have a look in verse 3 as we follow that through. It says there, God appears there like Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne there's, there's a rainbow that has the appearance of an emerald. Now, this isn't apocalyptic language just here, but there's something that John's communicating to us as the Spirit inspires him with this vision. It's these really deep, rich, royal colours. John is conveying something here to us. He's conveying to us beauty, splendour, royalty, majesty, colour here with creative genius. He's setting us a scene here, the picture of God's throne room. And we follow that on verse 4. We see there, there's 24 smaller thrones that are gathered around the throne. And there's 24 elders seated on those thrones. Now, we don't know who they are on those thrones, and we don't need to know who they are on those thrones. It's a picture there of authority, that God holds authority over all things. Even including the 24 elders who sit on these 24 smaller thrones here in this situation. Look in verse 5 where John keeps growing this picture for us in the throne room. It says here that there's flashes of lightning, there's rumblings, there's thunder that reverberates from this throne. There's a bit of thunder around last night. Sort of just stops you a bit, doesn't it, when it happens? And you see those bolts of lightning. You sort of feel a bit small when that happens, don't you? These are all signs and symbols here of God's sovereignty and his awesome power finding its centre in God. In God. The seven torches of fire and the seven spirits of God are around this throne as well. Now you might be saying, I thought there was only one spirit of God. Well, there is. 
The number seven represents completion or fullness in biblical language. So what John is saying there in this sense, it's the seven spirits are the fullness of God's spirit, the Holy Spirit here in and around this throne. It's the completeness of God via his spirit. Verses 6 and 7, we see more things. We see an image there of a sea of glass-like crystal with these four living creatures surrounding the throne full of eyes all around them. One is like an iron, like a lion. One like an ox. One has the face of a man. And the other is like an eagle in flight. Now that's where it starts to kick in a bit with this apocalyptic language and this this is sounding a bit strange now. Who are these creatures? I think I might have seen them on a Hollywood movie somewhere or Star Wars or something. Well, maybe Star Wars got their inspiration from the book of Revelation, I don't know. But there's something here that John's communicating to us. John's trying to, with his heightened intensity through apocalyptic language and literature, he's trying to convey something to us that God is like is majestic like a lion. This, this image of this creature is this picture here of the majestic God-like, like a lion, or powerful, God is powerful like an ox. It's amazing what those oxes can pull. Or God is wise like a man, the wisdom of man to have a power and authority over the animals of this earth. Or God is like one who soars over and above all of mankind like an eagle. It's conveying something to us here as we see these images, as we see these pictures that he's doing for us. John's telling us here that God is sovereign, that he sits on the ultimate throne. He ultimately rules the universe, all that we can see and all that we can't see. And God's decrees, according to his will, is exactly what happens in this universe. Not someone else's decree or someone else's will, it's God's will. And in a sense, for these seven churches, you may be experiencing terror now from Domitian, this cruel tyrant of a Roman emperor. You may be experiencing all of his unjust laws and this emperor worship, but John's communicating here, Domitian isn't God. God is God. Domitian doesn't hold all authority. God holds all authority. And just the same as we may look on today and become fearful about what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, thinking, is this all out of control? God sits on the throne. God rules. God reigns. That's what John is telling us here. God is sovereign. He sits on the throne and he holds everything in his hands. He's reassuring these guys right from the get-go here in these foundational chapters of Revelation 4. Look at Psalm 115.3 and see what that tells us. It says this, Our God is in the heavens. He does all he pleases. Now, it may not look like that at times because a lot of God's work is mysterious, but no one can stop God. He does what he pleases. He does what he pleases. Now, John doesn't stop here at God's sovereignty. He actually goes on to tell us about this sovereign God, the attributes, the person of this God. God's sovereignty is exercised, is carried out in his blinding holiness. Have a look in verse 8 with me. It says this, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Have you seen that written somewhere else in the Bible? Isaiah chapter 6. 
what you'll find in Revelation, there's lots of references back into the Old Testament. It is full of the Old Testament, the book of Revelation. He's giving us a picture here of this sovereign God. He's these creatures that surround this throne and they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The sovereign God who holds all power, all authority, he reigns in holiness. This is a key attribute of God. This is what these angels, are, these creatures are crying out as they see this Lord. Holy means he's utterly separated from sin. There's no trace of evil, there's no hint of evil within the person of God whatsoever. There's not even the tiniest fragment that may be somewhere in the person of God. There's not even the tiniest trace of evil there. There's no shadow of evil darkness in the person of God. Completely holy, utterly separate, all from that is evil and corrupt. John's telling us, see, this God who sits on this glorious throne, surrounded by splendor and glory, reigns in holiness, reigns in purity. God exercises his power in perfect purity and perfect justice with no hint or stain of corruption in that. God exercises his power as the sovereign in perfect wisdom and perfect timing. There's no influence upon God to do something wrong. God exercises his power without being corruptly influenced by anyone or anything that could sort of bribe God as it happens right around this world. That's not God. He's holy. You see, the seven churches, they are well aware of the corruptions of Rome. They have seen its power-hungry leaders actually just do anything to gain more power or gain more wealth for themselves. We too see that happening in governments around the world. Bent on selfish greed as they rule countries just to line their own pockets and build up their own little many kingdoms where they are. Now, I haven't, you can't justify some of those or find the actual foundation of some of those reports, but some of the reports of President Putin in Russia is he's some incredibly wealthy guy, while the rest of the country maybe struggles quite a bit. Does happen, does happen around the world. But not so with God. Not so with God. His sovereign holiness. His perfection and holiness obliterates evil. It just cannot be in his presence whatsoever. The tiniest influence of evil in his presence is just obliterated like that. Sin or evil cannot stand in God's presence. It cannot be there for a moment. Not even for a millisecond will it prevail before God. The instant any evil would appear there, God's blinding holiness would actually like vaporize it to nothingness. It just wouldn't even get a moment of time there. It's the blinding, glorious, beautiful holiness of God. And that's how he rules. He rules with holy righteousness. He rules with holy integrity. God can be trusted in every way through his rule and his sovereign powers. John wants to show us something else here about this throne room as well as he shows us here about God and his holiness. Look with me in verses 10 and 11 that heaven is a place of worship. It says there in verses 10 and 11, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. What is heaven? What is God's throne room? 
It's a place of adoration. It's a place of love. It's a place of devotion for the glorious, sovereign and supreme holy God. It's a place here of undivided, unbridled, unrivaled and unlimited worship of God. The throne of God, the presence of God is drenched in an atmosphere here of unadulterated worship. Glorious worship, worship beyond we could even ever imagine here. What we do on a Sunday morning or maybe through the week in your own personal is just a mere shadow of the worship that will be in heaven. Now, I really believe and really think what John wants us to do and give us license to here is let our imagination run wild as we think about what's happening here in this chapter. To sit back and to think and reflect and to meditate upon this. I really believe John wants to explode our minds here with this scene. He wants us not to just quickly read through Revelation, but he wants us to stop and actually park on a verse and just think about what's happening there. Just think about that scene and let it open up. John wants to draw us back here, I believe, to this first commandment of Jesus to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and to get this picture and this vision here in Revelation 4. John wants to burst our hearts open here to see this glorious God, to see his throne, to see what that represents. John wants the eyes of our faith here to be captured, to be captured by beauty, to be captured by splendour, to be captured by holiness, to be captured by this sovereignty of the Lord. Think about what's going on in this passage here in verse 8. Come back to me there. It says there, night and day without ceasing. Night and day without ceasing. They surround the throne and they are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Think about that. They never stop. Day and night, it just goes on and on and on. Can you imagine that? Unfortunately, in our brokenness, we'd probably get bored after a while. And that's not a good thing, that's a really bad thing. But John's trying to actually lift us out of that boredom by showing us this. John wants us to think about that and meditate on that. They never cease to stop day and night saying this. In God's infinite glory and his sovereignty, these creatures are always seeing another element, another element of beauty and holiness with every glance. They look up and they see something else about God that is just glorious. And they cry out, holy, holy, holy. And they take another look and they see something else about God and they cry, holy, holy, holy. And they take another look and they say something else. They see something else and they cry out, holy, holy, holy. They never cease to stop doing that. That's the infinite sovereignty, the infinite beauty, the infinite glory of our God. They just do this forever and ever, and they never tire of it. There's something new and exhilarating and powerful that just draws that worship out of them. And then the 24 elders alongside join in with them, and they say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive all glory and honour and power, for you created all things and all by your will, and they were existed, and they were created by you. They never cease to cast down their crowns before the throne in joining in with this worship. This never stops. John's communicating something to us here. The infinite splendour and glory and holiness of God just keeps drawing unending worship from these beings, drawing us into this same worship. 
His glory, his holiness, his wonder, his sovereignty is inexhaustible. That's what will make heaven heaven because God is there in his infinite person. Not even Hollywood. As much as Star Wars uses all that, is it CGI, computer graphic animation or something, can convey the slightest hint of what this will be like. The person of God, sovereignly upon his throne, is meant to blow our minds. It is meant to explode our minds and expand our hearts and minds. And I'm sure that this is what John wants to pass on to us. He's trying to give us a scene where we are awestruck, awestruck by what is taking place here. Now, this is the first vista, or the first vision that John sees here in this glorious book of Revelation, and it's strategic, really strategic. This hasn't happened by accident. This is actually purposed here by God's Spirit in giving this vision here of the throne room. Again, think about where these seven churches are at. Think about what they're going through. They're all suffering under this corrupted, power-hungry Roman emperor. They're subject to an earthly sovereign who's allowing the death and destruction of these Christians to go on unabated, unstopped. They're getting killed and he's just letting that happen. How would they feel? They would feel hopelessly out of control, these Christians in these seven churches. They would feel, this tyrant is just crushing us. and It, it seems like it's just God's not in control here. John's giving them another vision. The best thing for these believers to see at this particular time and to be reassured with under this persecution must be there's got to be another king here. There's got to be another authority. There's got to be something else here in this situation because we are just suffering in this point in time. So John does that. They have to see ultimate reality. Reality through the eyes of faith. Yes, it's real oppression that they're facing under this Roman emperor and also the locals that are around about them as well. They're facing real pain and suffering. But there's another reality that they have to see. It's unseen in the physical, but it is the ultimate reality that is actually around about them. And the ultimate reality they need to be encouraged with here is the sovereignty of God. They've got to be reminded of this and refocus back on this. They need to see that God ultimately sits on the throne. He sits on the throne and determines what happens anywhere, anytime and everywhere. God rules in all things. And much of God's sovereignty is a mystery and I'm sure they would have had many questions as, as we see much suffering allowed to go on. And particularly when these people are getting killed here, it gives them confusion. But God, John wants to remind them again, he's holy, he's good, he's loving, he's righteous, he's sovereign. We may not understand why these things are happening, but that doesn't negate the fact that he's not on the throne here right at the very outset of this. What is John doing? He's building a massive foundation here in faith in God's sovereignty. That's why it's here at the very start of the book of Revelation. If Domitian is just a puppet in Satan's hands and God isn't, is in, isn't in control and is powerless to stop him, what would that do for the churches of Asia Minor? If they lived like that thinking, no, 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 Domitian's the one in control and not God, well, you'd probably just, well, kill me now and let's end it all. I don't need to go through all this. John's reassuring them that their faith will rest on God's sovereign unlimited power and that will build a mountain of strength within these guys to stand up to whatever challenges or persecutions they've got coming their way. And it's no different for us today. 
No different for us today, to be reminded of God's throne of sovereign, unlimited power over my life speaks peace and speaks rest. It squashes fear. I can rest in a good, loving, sovereign Father, no matter what is taking place in my life, whether it's really hard or really, even if it's my death that is coming my way. In God's sovereignty, I can rest in his goodness. I can rest in that strength. Understand that he will work all things together for my good, including my death. That will be good for me. Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I then enter that glory through the door of death. So they need to hear that. They need to be realigned again on this so they're not losing their focus on that. But also this, the churches that are compromising the gospel, they need to hear this as well because they've been in step with the world and allowing their lives to actually fall into sin. They need to hear about God's holiness and his splendour too. Now these churches here that have lost their first love and others that are actually, if you read through that, they're living in sexual immorality, some of these churches, and they're putting up with it. They need to see a renewed vision of God's glory and majesty and holiness too. Jesus has not only come to die to rescue them and save them from eternal hell, but he's also come to rescue them from living this broken, sinful life as well, to be transformed out of that and to now live in holiness. Because they can easily find themselves in that situation of not living up to the way God's called us to live, slipping back into sin that they used to resist, maybe lying and anger. I used to put a bit of a fight up against that, but now I just let it go. I just sort of fall in line with the rest of the world around, around about me. I don't really put up any fight now for that. They need to hear something again to actually engage them back into this fight. They need to recapture here a renewed vision of God's holiness and his love for them that drives them into that fight, that drives them into the wrestle that's going on in their hearts. So we looked at last week between compromising or conquering. They need to see this vision of a holy God and that gives them the impetus and the motivation to move forward in the finished work of Christ to uh, love him. See, for some of these churches, their love of the world was taking over within them and they were putting God to the side and living their own agenda in sinfulness. Now, that can easily be an issue for all of us. If we're not awestruck by the person of God, we then get filled with the wonder of this world that surrounds us and then God becomes small. He's not big, he actually becomes small within us. A man by the name of Thomas Chalmers in the 1800s preached a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And the point of his sermon was this, that a deeper and greater love will, will overpower a lesser love. That's what John's doing here as he opens up this throne room, this grand vision of God. With a renewed vision, a refocused vision on the throne of God, the holiness of God, an awe-inspiring God, reigning in holiness, a God who so loved us that he sent his only son to die for us, to rescue us, John's wanting to rekindle their heart's affection, to grow their heart again with a view and a picture of the glory and holiness of our God. So what John is doing there, renewing that love, that greater love, will actually expulse or push out a lesser love of this world. If I can grow a deeper love for God, these other loves that try and compete with that won't be able to compete with that because this love of God is so great and so strong in my heart and I thought I want to follow and serve this glorious God. This is why chapters 4 and 5 following are here. They are foundational 
for understanding the rest of the new uh, of revelation they're foundational for these believers in living in victory and actually overcoming what is ahead of them they need to get this renewed vision of the god's throne room and as we'll see next week the lion and the lamb as the lamb takes center stage here through the rest of the book of revelation so the holy spirit inspires john with this massive massive vision of god first to move us renew us to worship and adoration of the lord and this is key for us to grow in the gospel is getting a bigger vision of who god is a growing vision of who god is this actually helps us to grow in our love for him and our service of him here's one thing we're doing next week we're starting our ec kids really important ministry here that we have running at this church and we would have to have many more people jump on board and serve in our kids ministry it's a glorious privilege to help shape our kids with this same vision of a sovereign lord who reigns in glory how do we excite people to see this opportunity how do we excite people to see the privilege it is the joyful privilege to serve in our kids ministry you know how we do that we come to revelation 4 and we read through revelation 4 and we see god's word we see god growing in majestic holiness we see these creatures crawl crying out around the throne holy 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 we want to get ourselves excited by that so that we then want to take that on and pass it on to our kids our next generation because they're coming into a very difficult and challenging world we want to see god growing out and overflowing out of us in natural love and um ability that the Holy Spirit's given to us just through knowing who Christ is. We want to then pass it on to the next generation. So to excite people to do that, we say, hey, we need to grow a big vision of who God is. And that flows out into then serving our younger generation and teaching and showing them. This is the vision that John gives us. Grows your heart to worship the living God. This same vision empowers us to persevere. This same vision empowers us to walk in holy living as an expression of worship before such a glorious God. Now, I don't know. Maybe you'd never met this God before. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard Revelation 4 read out. And you'll sort of think, whoa, this guy is big. Way bigger than I ever thought he was. Maybe this vision is speaking to you today. I trust it is. And if it is the first time, we would love to introduce you to Jesus who makes this possible. After the service, if that's you, I'd love you to come down and see me. And we could talk about that and we could tell you about Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today as we come and uh, look at Revelation 4. Uh, God, again, I pray, please, uh, please let our hearts grow as we just stop, think, reflect and park ourselves on this glorious vision of your sovereign throne. God, we can be so overwhelmed by life. We can be so filled with fear at times. We can be so drawn back into this world that we lose sight of who you are. We lose sight of your sovereignty. We lose sight, Lord, of the atmosphere of holiness and the atmosphere of worship but we get so easily consumed by this world we just lose sight god i thank you so much that you've inspired john to write this at the very outset of the book of revelation 
get the foundation. See a sovereign, holy, worshipping God. I pray today, Holy Spirit, just fix that in our hearts. Grow that in our hearts today. That they never stop, they never cease day and night to cry out, holy, holy, holy. May that begin to inspire us, Lord, to just trust you more. To live in holiness, Lord, for such a glorious God that's rescued and saved us. Build this into our hearts, we pray. Father, I ask that and I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.